All right. Thanks, guys. Sorry about the technical difficulties in that one. You won't have any of that problem with me, hopefully. All right. So I'm pretty excited because I get the opportunity to talk to you guys in this series that we're in at the moment where we're looking at um, what that clip just talked about, you know, this idea of who is Jesus. And tonight we're going to be looking at the idea of that Jesus is light. But I love um, when we have series and we have opportunities where we get to focus in on Jesus because ultimately that's what it's all about, isn't it? Our lives are about becoming more and more and more like Jesus. So it's a great place to start in learning more about him. So we're going to be looking, um, we're going to be in John chapter 8 tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, you can get that ready now. Um, We're going to be starting in verse 12. But we're going to be looking at one of the I am statements of Jesus. So for those who don't know, Jesus made seven I am statements, all in the book of John, these moments where he declared, I am, and then followed it with a characteristic or a truth that he revealed to us. And tonight we're going to look at the second of those seven I am statements. So like I said, that's found in John chapter 8, verse 12, and it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So that's a pretty powerful verse, and there's so much in this that Jesus is saying, but I think there's two main ideas that we're going to have to unpack if we're going to understand what this verse is all about, and that's the idea of light, it's the idea of darkness. And I don't think they're exactly foreign concepts, I think that we all have kind of an understanding of what light represents and what dark represents. I mean, has anyone seen Star Wars? Like... Yeah, yeah, like light side of the force, dark side of the force, okay? We all understand these concepts, like what's light represent? It's all that is good, and then dark is like all that is bad. But I think in this verse, what Jesus is trying to communicate to us goes a little bit further than that. So I want to go for a, a little bit of a journey back to the beginning for a moment. And when I say beginning, I mean like right at the beginning. Because I think if we're going to understand light and darkness, it makes sense to look at the first time that we actually get introduced to them. The first time that we actually see them in all of history. So if you haven't guessed, that's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, if we just stop there for a second, here we have the earth before God's light came in. And it was dark. But it uses two different terms to describe what that darkness was, what it looked like. It says it was without form and it was void or empty. There we get a glimpse of what darkness is. But if we read on, what does it say? Then God said the words, let there be light, and there was light. And then what happened to what was formless? What happened to what was void? Suddenly it had life, and it had purpose in it. So that's a glimpse at what happens when God's light enters into darkness. If we come back to John chapter 8, verse 12 for a moment, could that be a little bit of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us? He's saying, I am the light of the world. So could he be saying that my light can bring form to what is formless and my light can bring purpose to what might seem empty and void? So that's the idea we're going to be unpacking a little bit tonight. Does that sound all right? Cool. All two of you. 
That's great. All right. So I could unpack this verse a little bit more and I could really keep reading it. But I think to understand this concept, it makes sense to look at it in action. So I want to look at a story where we actually get to see Jesus' light interacting with someone's darkness. But before we get there, we're going to be in John chapter 8 still, moving back to the beginning if you want to get that ready. Before we get there, I wanted to ask the question, has anyone ever messed up, like publicly? Yeah, like it's not like the thing that you're like, yes, that was me, probably, especially in church. But I'm going to get a bit vulnerable with you guys, and I'm going to share a bit of a story where I messed up um, publicly. So it was when I was younger. I didn't actually know my parents were going to be here, and now they are, so this is great. That's right. They, they already know this story. But um, So when I was younger, um, we went on a family trip to the pool. And you're already like, oh, no, like a thousand things could go wrong here. So we, we go into the pool, and I'm at the age where I'm confident enough in the deep end that I get to go on the diving board for the first time. So I'm super excited. Um, and I remember I was lining up for the diving board. There was quite a line for it. And I was, getting, I was psyching myself up. I was like, I'm going to do a bomb, because I can do bombs really well. I'm going to get a massive splash. It's all just going to go well. Um, so I was pretty keen, and um, I was almost my turn. The girl in front of me, she hops up. She jumps in. So it's my turn. So I'm so keen. I hop up. I run. Massive jump. Land in the water as hard as I possibly can. And instead of just getting like this really nice splash, I just feel this massive impact. And I go down, I come back up, and I'm just like looking around like, what just happened? And then the girl who went before me bobs up next to me, and she's just got like blood, like, like just all over. Like, and then, you know, if you haven't guessed what had happened was I didn't realize that you, you needed to wait for the person in front of you to like jump in and then like swim away before there was like a clear bit of water for you to jump in. So I didn't understand that concept. So I caused this injury, and I freaked out. I swam away. And then the lifeguards, they got involved, they sorted her out. And as I was hopping out of the pool, I remember very clearly, I, I looked around, it just felt like everyone in the pool, out of the pool, they were all just like staring straight at me like, we saw what you did, kind of thing. And I just felt like so small in that moment. Like I, I went over to my parents, I'm like, we have to go right now. And they're like, it's okay, it's fine. I'm like, no, the cops are probably on their way. Like I honestly thought I was going to be questioned, no joke. So I just find it interesting that when we're in situations where we mess up really publicly, we kind of just want to escape, don't we? We want to get away from it. But we're going to look at a story now where a woman messes up, and that's made very public in a much more extreme way than that. Um, so we're going to read in John chapter 8, starting from verse 2. Um, and it says, Early in the morning he came again to the temple. So that's Jesus, talking about Jesus here. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So I just want to stop it there for a moment, because I want to um, look at two different characters in this story. I want to look at the character of the woman, and then I want to look at the character of Jesus. But if we just focus in on the woman for a moment, let's understand a bit about her story. So it says that she was caught in the act of adultery. So what would that have meant? That would have meant she was taken from her home, if it was happening there or wherever it was, but she would have only been partially clothed. 
And she would have been taken through the streets, probably passing people she knew who recognized her, before she's brought to the temple where she's placed in front of the crowd Jesus is teaching for him to decide on whether she's going to live or she's going to die. And I think when we read this, it's such an extreme story that, like, I know for me, I automatically distance myself from this woman. I don't really feel like I can relate to her. I mean, I've never been in a situation where I've been publicly dragged out of something that I was doing, you know, a mistake I was making. But what I want us to see is there are elements in her story that we can relate to. And if we just think about her for a moment, here she is, she would probably be feeling like this mistake that she just made was now going to define her. I'm sure that she felt like this mistake was now what she was going to be known for. It was kind of part of who she was. And I think that in our lives, that's what sin does, doesn't it? It can start to affect the way that we see ourselves and the way that we feel about ourselves. And what I hope is that when we see Jesus and how he uh, interacts with this woman, we can see the freedom that he brings into those situations. But if we just go back to the woman for a moment, here she is in you know, what would be the most shame-filled, dark moment of her entire life. But there's still something quite powerful that's happening here for her that I want us to see. So in this moment... My guess is this is the first time that she's understanding the weight of what she's done. The weight of the mistake that she's made. The weight of her sin. Or another way to put it is that this would be the first time that she's come face to face with her darkness. I think that's important to recognize because it's until we're able to understand the weight of the things we've done, the mistakes that we've made, that's only when we're going to understand our need for a saviour. And in this moment for her, she fully would have recognized that there was nothing she could do in this moment to save herself. She needed someone else to step in. And it was because of that that she was so ready to receive the light of Jesus. And I think that it's the same for us in our lives. Unless we're able to recognize the darkness, the things that are holding us back, from living the life that God has for us. And until we're able to recognize those things, we're not going to be ready to receive the light of Jesus. But in just understanding this is the position that the woman was in in this moment, let's just continue to read through this story and look at how Jesus handles this situation. Because for me, this is probably my favorite response Jesus gives in the entire gospel, what he does here. All right, so you've got the Pharisees, her accusers, who don't care about this woman, it literally says that they were using her to just, you know, try and trap Jesus to get what they wanted. So they had no consideration for her at all. And yet you've got Jesus here who has immense value for this woman. So let's just see how this works, right? So you've got the Pharisees. They're demanding an answer from Jesus. They're like, this is what the law says. She needs to die. So what do you say? And rather than choosing to address her accusers, rather than even saying a word to them, it says that he bent down and he wrote on the ground. Now, everyone's like, well, what did he write? Like, and scholars, they come up with some awesome ideas, and I could go into those tonight, but I'm not going to because I think that information isn't given to us for a reason. Because I think it's not meant to be what we focus on in this moment, because I think there's something else for us to see that isn't spoken. 
See, in this moment, the accusers, they didn't care about this woman. So Jesus, rather than choosing to talk to them, rather than choosing to even acknowledge them, says that he bent down. Let's think about the only other person that would have been on the ground in that moment. This woman was probably collapsed in front of the crowd, probably trying to hide herself. But in this moment, Jesus chose to be the only person that wasn't standing over her. And in Psalm 116, it says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy, because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. That is the God that we serve, a God who bends down in moments of hurt, moments of weakness, moments of shame, moments of darkness to meet us at our level. He chooses not to stand over us in those moments. And if we just continue to see what just unfolds following this, says they continued to ask him. So the Pharisees, they're probably pretty annoyed, you know, he completely ignored them. So they continued to ask him, and it says, he stood up and said to him, let's see, there's body language being communicated here, right? He bends down to that moment for the woman, and then suddenly to address her accusers, it says that he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Do we see what's happening here? He's defending her in this moment. If we continue to read on, it says, But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said, Woman, has, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I just want us to see the grace and the light in these words that Jesus says to her. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Now, there's a lot that takes place in the second half of this story. There's a, a freedom that we see brought to this woman's life. But I want to focus in on this last verse here, because there's a lot that Jesus is communicating through this verse to this woman in this moment. I used to read this as though it was a bit of a command or even a condition, like, I don't condemn you, but you've got to kind of go and not stuff up anymore. But what I understand now is that he's... There's nothing about what Jesus was saying to her in this moment. There's two things that are happening in this verse. And I want us to just look at the first part where he says, Neither do I condemn you. What is he saying in those words? He's saying, yes, you came to me in sin. You came to me in your mistakes, allowing them to define you. But you can leave knowing that that is not who you are. Knowing that your past is redeemed. See, in this moment, he is bringing light to her past. The important thing to see is that it doesn't just stop there. Because the second half of the verse, it goes on, it says, Go from now on, sin no more. And what we can see is suddenly now he's speaking to her future. So he brings light to the past, but now he's speaking to her future. And I just want to stop and I just want to look at that word sin for a quick second. 
Because sin's an interesting word, and in the Greek language, which was the original language that the New Testament was recorded in, there's a number of different words, Greek words, that are used for our English word sin. One can be translated quite accurately into evil. Another one can be translated to uh, godless or bad. But this word that is used in this chapter, and the word that is used more often than not throughout the Bible for sin is the Greek word hamartia. All right? And what I want us to understand about hamartia is it quite literally can be translated to miss the mark. To miss the mark. It was actually an archery term that the Greeks used. When an archer would line up a shot, they would shoot, and it would fall short of hitting the target dead on. Because that's ultimately what sin is in our lives. Those moments where we, we might be gossiping with our friends, we might be looking at things we know we shouldn't be looking at, saying things that we know we shouldn't be saying, all of it is ultimately missing the mark on the life that God has created us to live, falling short of the life that God has created us to live. But for this woman in this moment, what he is saying is he is saying, go and sin no more. Go and hit the mark that I've created you to hit. Go and live the life that I have created you to live. So he is sending her forward with purpose. And like we saw in Genesis 1, what happens when God's light comes into darkness? What is empty and what is void suddenly has life and it has purpose. And that's what we see happening for this woman right here in this moment. That is what the light of Jesus looks like when it comes into someone's life. And just in closing, I want to I look at one more verse because oftentimes we end the story there and we kind of separate it from this verse that follows. But I think there's something for us to see when we connect it to the very next verse in this chapter. So we just go to that. The very next verse after this all took place says, Again, Jesus spoke to them. Who is them? Them is the crowd. The crowd was here the entire time, watching this entire episode unfold in front of them. And now Jesus is speaking to them, and it says, Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's almost like he is saying in this moment, like to the crowd, you see what just took place in front of you. You see what just happened here. This is what it looks like when my light comes into someone's life. This is what it looks like. Their past is redeemed, it's forgiven, but then they go forward with a new purpose, a new trajectory for their life. But I just want to answer one more question if I can, because I know that if I heard this message myself, there would be one question that I would just be asking. And that's, well, okay, the light of Jesus overcomes darkness, but then I'm a Christian, so why do I still see darkness in my life? And for me, when I first encountered Jesus, it was on a school trip, I came back home and I just felt like I wanted to start changing everything in my life. I started to change the people I hung around with at school. I started doing things I hadn't been doing before. I stopped doing things I was doing before, all in an effort to get my life kind of on track. And it felt like I was doing pretty good. I wasn't perfect, but I was doing pretty good. 
And this probably lasted about a month before I started to see the darkness creep back in. And I remember multiple times crying out to God saying, why? I chose you. I am following you. So why do I still see these things in my life? I thought I was set free from this stuff. So why is it here? And that was because I didn't really fully understand this story. And I didn't fully understand what Jesus is saying in this verse here. Because he says, all who follow me. Often we read that as though it's a one-time commitment, don't we? How much do we know if we actually just follow someone in the physical sense? You need to keep at it. It's not like just a one-off decision. It's a continual decision. See, each day we wake up to a series of decisions where each one's going to either bring us closer to Jesus or further away from him. And if Jesus is the light of the world, let's just think about light in a physical sense. The closer you draw to it, the more we'll see darkness fade away because darkness cannot overcome light it's physically impossible because darkness is simply the absence of light so if darkness is the absence of light could it be that the darkness we see in our lives those things that are holding on to us that are keeping us from living the life that God has created us to live could be the absence of Jesus in those areas of our lives. So I want to leave you with a question that I've been challenging myself over the past few months, and I think this is an important question for us to ask ourselves, and that's where do you need more of Jesus' light in your life? What's that area in your life right now that might be in darkness? What's that area that is holding you back from living the life that God has created you to live? Because once we're able to recognize those those moments, those things in our lives, just like this woman, we're going to be in a position to receive the light of Jesus. And we are going to see our past redeemed, but we're also going to see a new trajectory and a new purpose going into our future. So let's pray. God, we acknowledge our need for you. Just like this woman in the story, God, we know that there are times where the darkness catches up with us. God, we we pray that You help us see those things in our lives that aren't pleasing to you, those things that are holding us back from living our lives as you created us to live them. And God, we pray that in these next few moments that we can bring them to you. And that we can see your light overcome. So that just like that woman in that story, we can leave this place walking out of our shame, out of our hurt, out of our brokenness, out of the darkness. And we can be walking into a new purpose with a new trajectory for our lives. God, we give it all to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.